0: Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find Sports Grid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Folks, what's going on, Grid? This is
1: Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Happy President's Day, everybody. We're going to talk more about Carlos Correa's comments from this weekend. We got some position battles as well. The Tout Wars draft and hold draft starts today as well. That is with Craig Mish. Hour 2 of FST begins now.
2: It's fantasy
1: sports today. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Sports Grid TV Network. I am Frank Stamfel here on a President's Day, and I mentioned the comments from Carlos Correa over the weekend. We had a lot still coming back to this Houston Astros situation. Rob Manfred obviously addressed the media and basically doubled down on the... Punishments that he handed out, saying that the players are going to have enough embarrassment throughout the course of the season that they'll never be able to live this down. That he, you know, stands by his decision. He did say that, you know, if he could, if he could have suspended the players, it's something that he would have wanted to do, uh, but obviously had to grant them immunity uh, with everything that's going on in order to get their uh, their testimony here regarding this cheating scandal with the Houston Astros. Carlos Correa, though. I mentioned this over the weekend, and, and this—look, I, I don't want to—I don't want to speak in terms of like hyperbole, but I did not feel good watching this, man. I, I just felt bad. I, I felt. It almost made me sick. I don't, you know, I don't want to overreact too much here. But his comments to Ken Rosenthal, he does like a tell-all interview where he basically claps back at Cody Bellinger because Bellinger said Jose Altuve should forfeit his MVP and that Aaron Judge should win the AL MVP from 2017. Uh, and Carlos Correa basically just... You know, went off. Like he he defended Jose Altuve, he defended the team, said that nobody knows what they're talking about, that Cody Bellinger doesn't know how to read, that nobody knows what was really happening. Well, how can we know? And how could we even believe you, Carlos Correa? You guys are liars, you're cheaters. This situation is not going anywhere anytime soon. But coming up right now, we have Dan Stratford with a news read here at the Sports Grid TV Network. Don't go anywhere. Sports Grid news update.
3: 21 And we'll all be happy position. Players are reporting to spring training and a report from each. They are in the best shape of their lives. Cole Hamels is not in the best shape of his life. He won't be cleared to resume throwing for a few weeks due to a shoulder injury. Snickers said Hamels will report to camp later this week for rehab. Reds third baseman Eugenio Suarez took one-handed swings in the batting cage and fielded some grounders without making throws on Sunday. Suarez injured his right shoulder while falling into a swimming pool last month. Dodgers starter Jimmy Nelson is dealing with minor groin sore manager dave roberts said the soreness is benign but any sort of setback could derail his attempt to make it into the starting rotation an exciting game with some actual real defense for the nba all-star game team lebron beating team Giannis 157 to 155 on sunday night quai leonard winning the mvp which was renamed in honor of kobe bryant magic johnson led the crowd in an eight second moment of silence and a nod to the number bryant wore in the start of his career gentlemen restart your engines later today the daytona 500 will start again it was postponed by rain for the first time since 2012 dampening nascar's season opener 4 p.m eastern start time for the great american race according to the uh, report from the athletic and it's including sham strania john Balin is not expected to remain the cavaliers head coach beyond this season they've been in talks to part ways in fact heading out of the All-Star break. And in the NFL, we'll keep an eye on this one. Mike Reese of ESPN says the team has no movement in contract talks with impending free agent Tom Brady. We've also seen reports that the Raiders, yes, the Las Vegas Raiders, may offer him two years, $60 million. I'm Dan Strapper and this has been your SportsGrid News Update. Thank you, Mr. Dan.
1: And now, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today here on the Sports Grid TV Network. Uh, I believe that I am joined by Mr. M- Mr. Craig right now. Mr. Craig, what's going on, man? How are things uh, at Marlins uh, Spring Training right now?
4: Yeah, Frank, we're, uh, you know, we've got players on the field. It's scintillating stuff here, you know, like uh, having workouts and things like that. No, but uh, in all honesty, it's good to have baseball back. And seeing the videos from around the league and, and just kind of getting an understanding for where we should be drafting. As, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I'm not big on early drafting, uh, but I think this is the time of the year that you really have to start paying attention. When pitchers and catchers report, there's like a lot of propaganda out there, but as soon as the full squads are out there and the full squads are basically playing and, and practicing, then you can start to get a better gauge. And then, of course, the actual games begin this weekend. And so we'll get some real uh, news, data, swing changes, swing path, all that good stuff. So uh, here where I am with the Marlins, of course, uh, having an opportunity to be here every day is certainly, um, you know, a lot of fun because I get, uh, you know, I do a podcast also on them. But, you know, as the spring goes on and and hopefully we're able to uh, continue this. I'll be at uh, a lot of the other camps as well. But this will be probably my last day just fully covering uh, the Marlins for us, and then throughout the spring I'll you know do more interviews and things like that. But i uh, looking forward to see the Cardinals this weekend, the Astros, Nationals, uh, Mets come in town as well. So it should be fun.
1: Once again, Craig mentioned that we're going to have action this week and this weekend. Again, I believe we have some games this Friday, February 21st, and then Saturday it uh, looks like every team is in action as well. That's when things really start to get kicked off uh, this Saturday, February 22nd as well. Craig, I was talking about this uh, in the last segment before the top of the hour here, and Mike Clevenger, you know, we were talking about him on Friday, where he was going to fall in terms of uh, ADP and amongst starting pitchers, and I I took a look at, you know, where he was being drafted over the weekend from drafts being done Friday through Sunday here at the NFBC. uh, His ADP settled in at pick 36 from – You know, Friday through Sunday, and that put him off the board as the tenth starting pitcher off the board. Uh, And I mentioned last year he finished as SP18. He finished as a top twenty starting pitcher uh, with just 126 innings pitched. So, you know, what do you what do you think about this uh, this price tag? Where we're kind of settling in here when it comes to Mike Clevenger, uh, the tenth starting pitcher off the board. That seems a little high for me, um, even given where he finished last year with the limited innings. That 10th pitcher off the board, that that seems pretty high here uh, for Mike Clevenger from over the weekend. Craig, what do you think about that price tag?
4: Yeah, I saw you uh, tweet something out about that. I'm still surprised that people are taking him that high. Now, there was a report that came out, I believe, on Saturday after the surgery that they're optimistic that he's only going to miss six to eight weeks. I think that that's different with a hitter. With a pitcher, I think that what people aren't forgetting we have such a short memory with this is that how long it takes for pitchers to get ready. So in six to eight weeks, Frank, I could see him back on a field. You know, we get to like, let's say April and the first you know, couple of weeks of spring training, we're hearing about Clevenger throwing off a mound or maybe throwing at one of their minor league facilities. He's going to have to make a minimum of, I would think four starts in the minor leagues Four. the other thing to keep in mind is those minor league games don't even start until the end of April. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out with him. But I'm going to have the expectation that he's going to be out, I would say, at least into May. So he, it's not that he's off my board. It's just I think that you're right. I think he needs to go lower.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. You know, we keep seeing that timetable. You know, maybe he'll be able to return to a mound. Maybe he'll be able to, you know, start throwing. Uh in early April, maybe late March, but he's going to need an ex- extended spring training. And we've seen, you know, players in the past, uh, when they get that late start to spring training or late start to a season, we've seen it affect them in the past. I mean, remember Craig Kimbrell last year? He's a relief pitcher. It's a little bit different than a starting pitcher, but he was not the player that we're used to seeing. And then he ended up dealing with an injury as well as a result of that. So we have to worry about all these things when it comes to Mike Clevenger. The fact that he might... Uh, Possibly re-injure himself trying to come back from this injury, and you know this is now a knee injury. He's dealt with back injuries in the past. That's something that he dealt with uh, last year as well. So for me to be in on Mike Clevenger uh, from a snake draft perspective, I think that he you have to see him fall down draft boards a little bit more. It's going to be interesting to see where the auction price kind of settles in on Clevenger because if you can get him. At a uh, at a pretty pretty serious discount, maybe like you know anywhere from 15 to 18 dollars in that range in a 15 team mix. I mean that's something that I might be able to buy in on there, uh, but we'll see once the auction values come out with the NFBC. Um, how his price is looking at from an from an auction perspective, Craig? Did you get the opportunity to catch any of any of the NBA All Star game last night? Uh, if so, I don't know if you know about what they were doing with the target score. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Because I actually thought that it was uh, I thought it was pretty cool. You saw these guys playing harder than they ever have before in the All Star game. I was actually pretty entertained by uh, the All Star game last night. Did you catch any of it, Craig?
4: Yeah, I did see some. I saw the you know the Kobe, the Kobe Bryant introductions and and honoring. And I thought that was fantastic. And you're right. At the end of the game, it made it real intense. That fourth quarter was more intense than any uh, all-star game that I can ever remember. And of course, uh, a lot of points usually scored in that game too. So yeah, I mean, that's something that to consider for other all-star games and other pro bowls and things of that nature. I think maybe we could take a cue from that. So um, while I did not find it compelling for three quarters, the end of the game definitely was Frank. And so by that time I was on to Kirby enthusiasm or something else. (laughs)
1: Craig Mish on to Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's got to figure out that Sunday night schedule uh, because he's got a lot of television that he should be watching coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I agree, I did like the end of the All-Star game. When we come back, we will look at five legitimate position battles and how that might affect fantasy baseball this upcoming season. It's Craig and Frank, Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Sports Grid TV Network that's our free. Yes.
0: Craig Mish and Frank Stamfold. You take fear from my I offer him a cigar Wrong.
1: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Sports Grid TV network. Frank Stample joined by Craig Mish, who's out on assignment at Marlins Spring Training. And coming up now, we're going to talk about five position battles that should affect fantasy baseball this upcoming season. Uh, And Craig, let's start things off with the Cincinnati Reds. It seems like they have one of their corner outfield spots locked down with Nick Castellanos. Uh, They obviously have center field and left field open. I think most people expect uh, Shogo Akiyama to be the center fielder more often than not for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, But I wanted to talk about the left field spot when it comes to the Reds this upcoming season. And we have a competition here, it seems like, between Jesse Winker, Aristides Aquino, uh, and then Nick Senzel, of course, as well, who is coming back uh, off of an injury from last year. So we'll have to see you know, how he's recovering throughout spring training as well. Uh, he might be a little delayed and behind these guys, frankly. But, you know, Craig, when it comes to Jesse Winker, the contact tool is great. He performs well against right-handed pitching. He's been dreadful in his career against left-handed pitching. I think the plate discipline uh, is solid, makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out all too much. Uh, and then Aristides Aquino, awesome nickname, by the way. They called this kid the Punisher last year uh, because what he was doing at baseball is, I mean, he was just absolutely uh, absurd when he first came up. He was just... Mashing home runs. In the month of August, he took off, uh, but then in September, you know, really struggled a little bit here as well. So, Craig, you know, how do you think this Reds outfield really shakes out, specifically maybe when it comes to uh, left field here between Jesse Winker versus Aristide Sakino, and then maybe even Nick Senzel if you think he's in the mix for this left field job as well?
4: Yeah, I, I think that the Reds probably would be hard pressed not to take their time with Senzel with all the offensive options that they added in the offseason. Um, you know, and specifically adding Mustakas, I think, was a really big move for them. So, uh, you know, adding power to that, provided that Suarez is healthy, I don't think there's any rush to do that. And, you know, I, I think that while there probably is some disappointment with Winker, as you mentioned, and the fact that he probably is headed toward more of a platoon, I think it's okay. The Reds are in a good offensive situation. Um, you know, the, Aquino is a very uh, boomer bust type player, I think, in 2020. Um, you know, and, and it's very easy to look at that cup of coffee. I mean, it more than that, actually, like two or three months that he had last year where he was the best power hitter in baseball. So um, I'd probably guess that we're headed toward a platoon because they haven't fully endorsed Aquino as a starter. And that was, of course, with the additions that they added in the off season in center field, too. So I would say, long story short, I'm not buying Winker at all. Uh, I have some serious concerns with him uh, you know, hitting lefties at all, and I, and I think I would take a, a dive again into Aquino, especially in some of these draft-and-hold-type leagues where you're just sitting on a guy for the entire year because if the competition does end with Aquino hitting like he did last year, uh, he's more of, of a certainty because I think that we know right now uh, Winker's going to struggle whenever he faces a lefty. We don't know about Aquino, so there is some more upside for me with him there, and Senzel, I think, is more of a, a product of 2021.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think Senzo long-term, maybe they even look to make a trade, right? Trade for a pitcher, or we've heard Lindor uh, kind of rumored out there as well. So we'll see what happens when it comes to Nick Senzel, but I would agree with you. He's probably more of a 2021 20, play maybe once things kind of uh, open themselves up in terms of playing time for the Cincinnati Reds. And I like Aquino as well. Originally, I wasn't on him because I thought the price was too high, but he's starting to fall big-time down drafts right now. And look at the power that he had last year, Craig. I mean, between the, the minor and the majors, he hit 47 home runs in 134 games. Again, what he did in August last year, 14 home runs with an OPS over 1100 for Aristides Aquino. Uh, and then in September, of course, he only hit five home runs with a 618 OPS. Uh, the strikeouts went up. The fly ball rate went down a little bit. So, you know, people made an adjustment on him. He's going to have to make an adjustment back. But if the price continues to drop on Aquino, I think once people saw Castellano sign with the Reds, that really kind of hit Aquino's uh, draft stock a lot. And he's starting to slip down drafts. I would agree with you. Uh, I'm interested if he continues to fall uh, at his current. NFBC price. Craig, let's look at the White Sox starting second base job here. Uh, As of now, it looks like Leori Garcia, who's a veteran player, he's bounced around a little bit, uh, would be the starting second baseman for the Chicago White Sox. They have prospect Nick Madrigal, who has uh, a a great contact hit tool uh, and he has great speed. He's not going to give you anything in the power department. Spoke to James Anderson uh, last week about Nick Madrigal and he said, you know, the speed is legit, the batting average is legit. approach at the plate, all legit when it comes to Nick Madrigal. He's going to give you nothing in terms of power or RBIs. Uh, and then they also have Danny Mendick in the in the mix there as well as an uh, as uh, has an opportunity here throughout spring training to to make a name for himself. Uh, and he's someone who has had a power speed combination at the minor league level as well, Craig. So you've got Nick Madrigal, you have Lauri Garcia, you have Danny Mendick. Uh, they've been very. Uh, aggressive in terms of prospects already with Luis Robert and with uh, Eloy Jimenez. Can you see them doing the same thing when it comes to Nick Madrigal uh, on opening day here with the Chicago White Sox, Craig?
4: Yeah, I I don't know about opening day, Frank, but I do think that you're on to something there. And They've shown that they want to put their, their prospects in the big leagues. The other thing that's a pretty good signal for that coming is just dumping Yulmer Sanchez entirely. Uh, who was a Gold Glove Award winner last year. So it would seem to me that they did that because they're opening up a spot for Magical. Uh, I don't think it'll be opening day. I think that you know service time has to be included in that. And also, I believe he'd be either the first or second player to the big leagues from that draft that would end up making it. So I see him more of a Super 2 as a June play, and Garcia just kind of holds it down for the time being. But I don't think there's any doubt we're going to see him at the very least in the second half of the season. So, Uh, teams that are looking for a stash. I think that's a good idea. And if you're bereft of steals after the first, let's say 15 or 16 rounds, you can snatch him up at the end and hopefully he can get you 10, 15 steals at the end of the season. I think we are going to see him this year. Just don't think it'll be in the early part of the year. A little more seasoning for me on him.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. You know, fantasy owners oftentimes are trying to stash prospects Uh, and very excited about young players. And we've seen players, especially the past couple of years, come up and just take the league by storm uh, from a fantasy perspective as well. And I remember last year uh, it was Fabapalooza. Fab again, when we had everyone trying to pick up uh, Carter Keyboom and, and trying to pick up Oscar Mercado and, and Nicky Lopez and Austin Riley and all these guys, uh, if you kind of want to beat people to the fab punch, uh, I think Nick Madrigal stashing him makes a lot of sense. I'm with you. Maybe not June. Maybe maybe we get him like May 1st then, but probably not going to uh, break opening day with the Chicago White Sox. That likely goes to Leory Garcia in my opinion as well. All right, Craig. The Astros' fifth starting pitcher job. Now, this just became a little bit more interesting because Brad Peacock. It came out late last weekend, over the weekend, that he is, you know, dealing with a back injury himself, and he's going to get a later start to uh, spring training here. So now it looks like we have a competition for the fifth starter. In the Astros rotation, and it might have already been a competition with Brad Peacock, but now I think it opens up uh, specifically for the names Josh James and Forrest Whitley a little bit more here. And we did, you know, the ADPs outside the top 700. I brought up Rogelio Armenteros as a name as well, who has performed well in the minors. Uh, But Craig, when it comes to the fifth starting pitcher job for the Houston Astros, are you interested in a Josh James? Is there a chance that we see Forrest Whitley early in the season, or do you think they kind of play it safe here with Brad Peacock as well?
4: It's wide open at this point. I mean, that's not something that I want to invest in right now, and knowing how the Astros have you know, sort of used their uh, bullpens and swing guys, it almost feels like anybody who ends up in the fifth spot ends up in a stripling situation where they're going to be used as a starter and a reliever. Um, you bring up some good names. I know Josh James is still out there as a possibility as a starter. I wouldn't rule him out completely, although injuries have really uh, derailed him. Um, so I mean, it could be Whitley, but I don't think we'll see you know he definitely needs more minor league time after what I saw with him last year too. Um, wide open is the answer for that one. I, I don't think Frank that we have a definitive answer on who that will end up being, and I understand, you want shares of Astros because they do, regardless of everything that's going on, they do play with a potent offense and a good team. But at this stage, uh, Wade Miley didn't really work out the way that a lot of fantasy owners thought that he would last year to perfection. Um, Josh James did not work out the way fantasy owners uh, thought last year. Whitley did not work out either, and you mentioned Peacock. He's hurt. So uh, this is just simply going to be a stay away for me. I'm not going to dive deep into any of these guys unless it's like the last round of a draft. I'm not interested.
1: If you are doing any of these uh, draft and hold drafts right now, or best ball drafts, Josh James is someone that I think you can look at going around pick 350 in the month of February in the NFBC ADP, and last year had a 16% swinging strike rate, so obviously we like the strikeout upside there for a Josh James. We'll see if he can take a grasp on that fifth starting pitcher job with the Houston Astros. Alright, Craig, before we let you go, let's touch on one more real quick here. We spoke about this a little bit uh, over the past couple of weeks. The A's second base job. Franklin Barreto, Jorge Mateo, and Tony Kemp. Jorge Mateo is out of minor league options here, Craig, so I think at at worst he's probably going to be a bench bat for this team. How do you see this playing out when it comes to the Oakland A's starting second base job?
4: Yeah, I think Barreto finally gets the shot this year. Now, what he'll do with that, I'm not sure, but if you're simply looking at an AL-only league or you're looking at a deeper league for counting stats or playing time, I think Barreto's the guy. Uh, Look, the Yankees completely fell out of favor with Mateo, even with that great speed. So I'm not really in on him. And Tony Kemp is a bit player. He's going to play twice a week, uh, you know, when somebody needs a break. And he's not going to hit home runs. Even if, honestly, Frank, even if Tony Kemp ended up getting three or 400 plate appearances, I don't think that he would do much with it. No indictment on him. It's just the kind of player that he is. So uh, Barreto is the clear-cut choice for me to sit here and endorse that the guy is going to hit 280 with 20 home runs. I can't, can't do that. But simply put, if you're betting on someone to win that job, which is what we're talking about here, I would put it on Barretto.
1: All right. He is Craig Mish. He's out at Marlin Spring Training right now as well. Uh, Craig, enjoy the rest of your day there as well. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, tell Jonathan VR and Brandon Kinsler I said hello, all right?
4: You got it. My best to you. And we'll talk tomorrow at 11.
1: Looking forward to it again. Craig Mitchell join us on the show. Tomorrow we'll be together reunited. Hopefully it will feel so good. Coming up next, uh, we have Matt Williams joining us on Skype. He's going to talk about some of these 20 20 player breakdowns he's been doing over on Twitter. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Sports Today Live on the Sports Grid TV Network.
0: Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford.
1: All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Sports Grid TV network. Happy President's Day to everybody out there. I am Frank Stanfield. joined now by Matt Williams, who does a phenomenal job with his 2020 player breakdowns for the fantasy baseball season. Make sure you're following Matt on Twitter as well, at Matt Williams, instead of the L's, we have 7's in there, so it's W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. Uh, and apparently I'm going to have his co-host, John, later on, MLB Moving Averages, on the show as well. I didn't even plan this, having both of you guys on the show uh, on the same day. I-, I didn't know that you guys were uh, co-hosting uh, together, to be honest. But thanks for joining us here, Matt. Uh, he's also the host of the Turn 2 podcast, Daily Blitz podcast, uh, and DFS Statistics. He is Matt Williams. What's going on, Matt? How's everything?
2: Hey, pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. If I knew I was going to be on video, I I would have uh, maybe had a more magical background like you do. I need a green screen or something. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's all good, man. I see you rocking the Mets hat. Uh, One of the players that we're going to talk about here coming up that you've been doing these fantastic player breakdowns for uh, is going to be Ahmed Rosario. Before we jump into those, just kind of let people know know, what kind of things you're looking at when it comes to these 2020 player profiles, uh, these player breakdowns, rather, uh, because I know a lot of what you're doing uh, with the StatCast stats and other analytical stats, but let people know what you're doing and and specifically what you're looking at and and trying to accomplish when you're doing these player breakdowns, Matt.
2: Yeah, sure. I I mean, I take a look at a lot of different, mostly just interesting players by ADP. I've been taking a lot of um, of requests for, for people that uh, players that people don't know how to value properly. I see a lot of people doing statistical breakdowns and they throw out a lot of terms like, you know, BABIP, home run to fly ball uh, ratio to try to predict regression. But I don't want to say necessarily in a lazy matter, but without context. So, you know, if you look at someone who has, like, for example, like a 350 BABIP, someone will automatically assume, oh, they're going to regress down in batting average. But you're not necessarily same as home run to fly ball ratio. If it's high and they happen to have high hard contact or pulling the ball more, there could be a reason to stay up there. You look at uh, someone's, you know, career averages for them, not necessarily career av- or average to league average. So. Every single player is different, but, you know, I kind of tell a story with every single one we take a look at what they did last year and then and kind of take a look at like kind of everything, all, all the uh, all the fan graphs data, all the Statcast cast metrics, um, any kind of uh, maybe adjustments, history uh, of, of injuries, anything to kind of explain why they're doing what they're doing and actually show what will continue, what will continue. And again, more importantly, we actually get into the specific whys, and then give a projection going forward whether or not. Uh, we should agree with like popular projection systems on certain players.
1: All right, Matt, so let's start off with one of these polarizing players, and that is Manny Machado. He'll turn 28 this upcoming season. One year, you know, uh, his first year in San Diego uh, on with that mega contract was a huge letdown, 256 batting average, 32 home runs, 81 runs scored, uh, 85 RBI and five stolen bases, which is crazy because for most players, that's a really good year. But obviously when you sign that contract and you're making the money that Manny Machado is, we expect him to have a better season than what he put together. Uh, he was a borderline first round pick last year now you're getting him in that fourth fifth round range at least what i've seen in nfbc drafts so what do you have on manny machado this upcoming season do you think that we should be buying the dip when it comes to manny machado do you do you suspect a bounce back here in 2020 matt
2: i expect a modest bounce back because most people are writing him off for the obvious reason that he went from camden yards to peco which was an issue i mean a peco he batted 219 with a 137 iso 297 woba Alway he batted 289 with a 225 ISO, 370 woba. So it's easy to make that correlation and just be like, all right, he did not do well at PECO, even at a 231 Babbitt there. So it's reasonable to expect him to do better, but it's not as simple as him doing bad at home and good on the road. His career worst line drive rate, um, barrel percentage, worst rate since 2015, career low pull percentage, career high opposite field. We don't know if he was playing to his park but overall, he was hitting the ball hard. He just wasn't hitting the ball well. His launch angle was down like maybe like one and a half, two 2%, which doesn't seem like a great deal. But his, he was topping the ball almost 3 to 4% higher, which could have led, you know, that's it can spread like a virus sometimes, just the, those little problems. And one really big issue was him versus right-handed pitching. Usually for his career, he's bats like, I don't know, like, three, uh, like 375. Last year it was 239. Uh, he usually just crushes right-handed pitching and or some seventy five not 375 well last year 239 with a 161 iso so he had a major problem with the right-handed pitching uh his his plate discipline was still good but well below his career averages uh his called strike rate was the highest of his career um his swinging strike rate was the high, was uh, was up like 5% so there were just like little tiny issues with him so even though his plate discipline was still better than most, like which this you said earlier, his down year was still phenomenal, <laughs> like by terms of a normal player. Before where you're drafting him, it's not necessarily good. So even though I'd expect a bounce back, uh, there was may, many more red flags here than just simply going to Pekka, where I'm not totally buying him where he's going.
1: Yeah, I'm actually I actually am buying Manny Machado this upcoming season. We've seen him kind of fluctuate and he's had some down years. I remember just a couple of years ago he hit like 259 uh, and then bounced back the very next year to hit 297 with 37 home runs. He has to make adjustments, there's no doubt about it. He has not hit as well outside of Camden. He struggled against right-handed pitching as you mentioned last year, which is not normal for Manny Machado as well. And then I saw this as well. I I believe you saw this from uh, from Jeff Zimmerman. If you are a conspiracy theorist, Last year, uh, Manny Machado was hit by pitch on August 8th last season. Before that hit by pitch, he was batting 272, 340, 494, triple slash. After the hit by pitch, 213, 319, 375, triple slash as well. So he might have been playing through something last year. First year of a mega deal did not come through. Uh, I think he can bounce back to the tune of a... 270 batting average, 35 home runs. I think the runs and RBIs creep up a little bit. The stolen bases are always all over the place with Manny Machado. I think he could probably give you seven, eight, maybe crack double digit stolen bases. And I think if he does all that, uh, he's going to be he's going to pay off where he's going in that fourth, fifth round range. Maybe even provide extra value. Let's move over to another player here that you have, Matt uh, Brian Reynolds. Who, Look, everyone's trying to find stolen bases early in drafts, but you have to protect the batting average as well, especially when it comes to rotisserie leagues, obviously. Uh, And if you need to find a batting average bat late in your drafts, later, I'm not going to say just completely late, but when it comes to Brian Reynolds, that is something he can give. You look at the profile, he makes a lot of contact, he hits a lot of line drives as well. Uh, Do you like what Brian Reynolds can provide this upcoming season? Do you think that the batting average is going to remain a positive this upcoming season for Brian Reynolds here with the Pittsburgh Pirates? it's met
2: yeah definitely I, I like him like you said as a batting average hitter uh you know he I think he had the 10th highest batting average in the league of all qualified hitters last year a lot of people aren't buying him going into this year for probably two reasons one is his high batting average for balls in play which was like 387 which seems like harder to choke down his 76% sprint speed is okay which should help with that um but it's not going to come down as much as people think. If you look at his minor minor league career numbers, I mean, 391, 452, 376, 362, 394. So 387 is kind of right in the ballpark of where he typically would go. Like you said, he's a line drive hitter. So when people look at his home run total, 16 uh, in the majors, he also cranked quite a few out in the minors before coming up. That is a concern for people. Like you said, his, his fly ball rate is only 29.8%, which isn't good. But he does have a 23.9 line drive rate, which is really good. He's one of those people where if he decided to elevate the ball really more with how well he hits the ball, it wouldn't shock me could even get closer up to 25 plus home runs, but that's not why you're drafting him. I think he is a 300 hitter. He has never hit below 300 in the minor leagues. So I think where he's going in drafts, I don't know if you necessarily want to maybe overdraft him or pull, you know, maybe, uh, you know, grab him a couple of rounds early But for where he's going, he's kind of a steal because what he did last year, I think is exactly what he is. And especially with Starling Marte gone, he's he's kind of locked into a uh, top of the order role in the Pirates. Who maybe not a fantastic lineup, but he'll be there and he'll get some enough counting stats to definitely make um, to definitely make it worth your while. His expected barrels were maybe a, a couple of percentage higher than his actual barrel rate. There's growth in the power department, um, which is nice. But you're not drafting him for ceiling. You're drafting him for floor, and he's got a pretty safe one.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty interested in Brian Reynolds as well. You mentioned he's never hit less than 300 at any level in the minors. He didn't do that last year at the Majors either. He hadn't ended up hitting 314 in 134 games with the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. Uh, that was Brian Reynolds. All right, we're coming up on a break here, Matt, real quick. Uh, but we got about a minute or two left. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Ameta Rosario. You're wearing the Mets hat there as well. Uh, we saw Ameta Rosario perform better last year, probably the best of his career. 287 batting average, 15 home runs, 19 stolen bases. The problem for me is his stolen base conversion ratio. 50 steals in his career, 24 caught stealing. You know, what are you expecting for a Meta Rosario this upcoming season? I also worry about where he's going to bat in the lineup. He's probably going to bat 8-9 in this Mets lineup. What do you have on Rosario this uh, this upcoming season, 2020, with the New York Mets here, Matt?
2: Yeah, I wish we all knew where he was going to bat. I mean, as far as speed goes, he seems like probably a better fit to lead off than Brandon Nimmo, who's obviously an on-base machine, so he no doubt will be batting lead off. We've seen him bat lead off before, so who really knows? We have to see kind of what happens uh, going forward, there. But um, he said he had a 291 expected batting average, which was like 21st in baseball. That was, I mean, that is very good. And he continues to get better. Something that kind of always um, held him back was his defense, which he's, if you look at his defensive metrics, it's not very good. But uh, he definitely um, improved as the season went on. And that helped with his confidence. The stolen bases are an issue, like you said. 19 of 29 last year but he has kind of elite sprint speed. So there's no doubt that he can kind of turn that up. Uh and it's there's definitely a ceiling there we haven't seen. But the stat that the stat that I like most with him is uh he batted two uh expected batting average, uh, 290 15 home runs, 15 steals. Not that many people did that like Yelich, Betts, Bellinger. So ton, tons of uh tons of value. All
1: right, Matt, I got to cut you off there, Matt. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Williams. The Sevens are the Ls. We'll get his co-host, MLB Moving Averages. Join us next here on it. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering.
5: Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
0: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford.
1: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today live on the Sports Grid TV network. I am Frank Stanfield. Final segment here on a President's Day as well. And we were just joined by Matt Williams, who is a co-host of the Turn 2 podcast. We'll now be joined by the other co-host of that podcast. It's MLB Moving Averages. Follow him on Twitter at MLB Moving AVG. What's going on, man? How's everything? I remember we had you on the BFS last year. It was a lot of fun. How's everything going, man?
0: Thank you. Long time, man. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm psyched. It's my favorite time of year.
1: Absolutely. I mentioned he's the co-host of the Turn 2 podcast. He also writes for The Athletic. And I found something that you wrote about here very interesting. So this is uh, hard minus soft percentage. Now, you have to explain to the people out there what you're doing when you're looking at hard minus soft percentage. Because honestly, half the people here at the Sportsbook right now might think that I'm talking about Viagra. So uh, let, break this down for us.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's leave that type of hard for another day. Um, pretty simply put, you know, uh, in, this, in this new age of, of StatCast data, and listen, StatCast has made the world a better place. You know, there's a lot of new information coming in. So how we digest these things, you know, it's, it's evolving, and it's, it's, it's happening every month and every year and so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, everyone is really into hard hit rate, which as well they should be. But then I kind of thought to myself, I, I know it's it's really somewhat intuitive, but maybe it's brilliant in its simplicity. You know that maybe we need to be looking more at uh, soft hit rate, and just to get into it just a little bit more. You know, we know now again going back to the Stackhouse data that as exit velocity decreases, so does slugging percentage, right? So these things are directly related and it kind of makes sense. It's intuitive, but the numbers do back it up. So a hard hit ball starts at a slugging percentage of 650. A medium hit ball drops precipitously down to just about 400, which is not great, but it's not atrocious. Soft hit rate, however, the highest slug for a soft hit ball is 277. So That's something that we really, really, really want to stress as we're doing our pitcher analysis, pitchers that are able to induce soft contact, which, again, will lead to a very low slugging percentage. And, you know, no one had really kind of combined the two of them together. And uh, I know you're a big fan of it, as am I. I kind of thought of it somewhat like K minus walk percentage. We always had K percentage. We always had walk percentage. And it wasn't until we combined them that we kind of got this interesting new metric. So that's how I look at hard minus soft. That's kind of like a contact metric. Again, there's no single stat that's the end-all, be-all that we would just put on a list and and draft from it, as you know. But I really do feel that Harmon is soft. It's pretty exciting because it does a really good job of, again, describing that contact profile. And, Frank, when I started looking at its relation to ERA, it was absolutely undeniable. The top ten pitchers by hearts. Minus soft rate, have a 3.34 ERA. I won't read you all down the list, but as we add 10, the top 20, the top 30, top 40, all the way down to the top 180, there is an increase in ERA at every single step without one exception. That is remarkable. So I feel like we really have a new way to look at, at least in season, um, relationships between contact metrics and earn run average.
1: All right, so let's talk about one of these players, the leader on this list, the number one player in terms of hard minus soft percentage, somebody who is great at limiting hard hit rate and then also great at inducing a ton of soft hits last season was Eduardo Rodriguez of the Boston Red Sox. So tell me, you know, what are you projecting for Eduardo Rodriguez uh, this upcoming season? Because if you look at his season log here, right? He's been between a 3 8 ERA and a 4 7 ERA basically every season of his career. Do you expect him to build off of that to be better than what he's done in his career? Or is this kind of just the player who Eduardo Rodriguez is here?
0: Well, I think last season was probably his best. And, you know, that's a good thing. And we're looking to see, right, like you're saying, is he going to build off that breakout, which we would call continuation? Or are we going to look for, you know, a return, which most people in the industry would talk about as um, regression? Again, I wouldn't just use hard minus soft to make this assertion. However, I would say that it has definitely helped to validate my projections for what we have now is probably like a like a pretty sturdy SP two who's not really going at that price. You know, it's beyond just the the, the contact uh, spread here with hard minus soft. I mean, across the board, he, he was he was really excellent. You know, uh, all of his x stats were better than his his. Uh, surface stats, right? His XBA was 20-something points lower. His x was 12 points lower. His x was like 20 points lower, which was 294, which is really, really excellent. You know, so it's not just a matter of limiting contact. Also, if you look at Erod Frankie, his fly ball line drive miles per hour is an elite 90.9. So not only is he limiting hard contact, that is transferring over to when players are actually lifting the ball against them. And you know, if you're keeping score here, his fly ball rate's only at 32.5%. So we're talking about adding so many different aspects of this contact metric and getting what I think is a drafty steal in Erod. And I'm a Yankee fan. It can be hard for me to say that.
1: <laughs> We're speaking with MLB Moving Averages. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at MLB Avg. He writes for The Athletic. He's the co-host of the Turn 2 podcast as well. All right, got to ask you about Noah Syndergaard because he ranks very highly on this list as well. And, again, it's not just, you know, you rank highly on this list and it's automatically going to relate to uh, production this upcoming season. But it's very interesting, especially coming from Noah Syndergaard, someone who throws as hard as he does, limiting hard contact, and, again, inducing a ton of soft contact. Dude, when I try to figure out Noah Syndergaard, my head just spins because the guy has all the talent in the world. He throws almost 100 miles per hour. It just seems like he doesn't know how to pitch. He's more of a thrower than a pitcher. Is this the year where Noah Syndergaard can stay healthy, put it all together, and maybe finally produce a top 10 starting pitching season in 2020?
0: Man, I was with you on all of that until we got the top 10. I think that man, that might be a bit, uh, a bit of a stretch for me. But that doesn't mean in the deeper league, I don't think he could be a low-end one or a high-end two, you know, putting him at that, like, SP 17 to 20 range. Like, I think I'm comfortable there, so I'm not downing him at all. And, man, I'd like to think I'm a little higher than the market, except his price has not really fallen. So whether it be brain-name value or maybe kind of what people, you know, are seeing what I'm seeing, which is a very strong contact profile, to go along with the man, send the guard, admittedly, hey, he had trouble with the ball and he with the grip, and it showed in the slider outcome. However, if you look at that game log, he kind of got roughed up to start. I think it was maybe five or six rough starts. He came out for a complete game. And after that, from that point forward, short of a couple outings that you, you know, listen, if a guy gives up seven or eight on a single day, it could really happen to anybody. He shouldn't mar the work of a season. I think he was just fine. I actually think he's excellent. And I'm not really sure. I'm not I'm not part of this down on Thor. You know, I'm, I'm drafting him. Right where I think he can go, and any kind of drop that he sees in ADP, I'm considering a value. And I love Sundergaard, especially if you can get him as your second starter. I think he's excellent.
1: Somebody else who people are drafting as their second starter right now is Tyler Glasnow of the Tampa Bay Rays. And, and he's one of the players you have to watch throughout spring training. And a lot of people uh, say that you know spring training doesn't matter for fantasy. Of course it does because this guy is saying that he is throwing a new splitter this upcoming season. He's basically been a two-pitch pitcher. We know he's got the mid-to-high 90s fastball. He's got a wipeout curveball as well. If he starts throwing a splitter even, I don't know, let's say 10% of the time, that is a third pitch that he gives opposing batters. A different look. The problem, the main problem for Tyler Glass now is health. Can we project more than 150, 160 innings this upcoming season? He's not going that far off from Noah Syndergaard here. So, what do you think? Uh, would you rather have a Syndergaard or a Tyler Glass now? Do you like Glass now this season? Uh, and what would you project for the innings pitched this upcoming season?
0: Oh, okay, first things innings pitched. 150 is probably towards where I'd feel safe taking any kind of over. That being said, listen, Clevenger finished in the top 20 with a 123 innings pitch. So now that fewer and fewer pitchers are going 200 innings, you need that less to be a top starter. Man, I absolutely love Glass now. Apples to apples, I probably like him more than Syndergaard. However, I would have to preface that with the fact that it really depends on roster construction. And if my first starter, let's say I had Clevenger, I'm probably not going to go to Glass now. To me, that's just too much inherent risk. But let me tell you how much I like Glass. I brought up something that I, had, I spoke to someone about just the other day. Good is an understatement. He was insanely good. And for the time he was out there, Frank, he very well might have been the single most effective pitcher on a per inning basis. The 1.78 ERA was in the 98th percentile, 8.89 whip, 98th percentile. He was the number one pitcher in the league in fifth. He was in the 98th percentile in exfit, 2.94. He was first in the league in OPS. First in the league at weighted on base average against 96 percentile in K rate and 98 percentile in hard hit rate. That makes for an excellent basket of a guy who could, given the innings, like you said, he could be an S T one He has it in him, without a doubt, in, in my opinion, at least.
1: All right, I got to give you one minute here. We're coming up on wrapping up the show, but I got to give you a minute, one minute here to tell us why you love Austin Voth. I know that he is someone that you have been banging the drum for all offseason. Tell us right now why you like Austin Voth this upcoming season. Well,
0: listen, the, the the price is first. The team context is second. They've improved the defense. They've improved the bullpen greatly. So right off the bat, there's a context for wins there. And like I said, when you couple it with price, that's beautiful. If we want to talk about context, Profile Because, you know, I guess that's that's on the menu today. This guy was as good as anybody, again, in the league. It's just almost absurd. His 29.2% stack, his hard hit rate is off the charts. It coupled that with a 23.8 elite soft contact induce rate. Just kind of crazy. He had a sub three barrels per PA percentage, also elite. When I say elite, I'm not saying like it's really good. I'm saying you're in the top three or four percentile and that's including all of their first rounders man i mean everything he was great and he outperformed as far as x stats you know i love i just think i really love everything and if i have another second he had a single pitch i believe it was a slider Then he only threw nine percent of the time that had these broken metrics i mean we're talking like a plus 600 robicon and X Warbakan—that's not going to happen. They're either going to change that, discard that pitch, or find out that he was tipping it or something. Give me all of the ball for the price. Absolutely, I think he definitely takes the fifth spot from Ross easily.
1: He is NLB Moving Averages. Follow him on Twitter at MLB Moving Avg. For Matt Williams, for Craig Mish. I am Frank Sample. Thank you to everybody in the pit. Thank you to Danny Okers as well. This has been Fantasy Sports Today on Sport Sports Grid.